Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we're talking about Trick or Treat from 2007. Directed and written by Michael Doherty, starring Anna Paquin, Brian Cox, and Dylan Baker. And this kicks off our, our month of movies that take place on Halloween for October. I'm super excited about this month. And Ashwin, how about you? Are you feeling excited? Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm still, I'm kind of uh, nervous though, because I haven't really uh, figured out exactly what I'm going to be for Halloween. Do you know yet? Ooh, no, I don't know either. It's actually kind of, you should have a kid. It makes it easier. <laughs> to do like a group costume? Yeah, group costumes are always, always turn out better. Yeah, what well, you guys were like the Adams Family last year, right? Yeah, because he had a big bald head, so he was Uncle Fester. <laughs> Nice. You getting a roll with that group costume again this year? Definitely. I don't know what, though. All right. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we got four weeks to figure it out, right? Yeah, for sure. Hopefully one of these movies will be some inspiration. Yeah, maybe. Speaking of uh, that, Sam from this movie is a pretty popular Halloween costume, or at least it is a Halloween costume. Uh, Which one is that? Sam is like the oh, little... Oh, li- yeah, yeah. The, right. Oh, yeah. The burlap sack. Yeah. Got it. Oh, Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, on that note, this movie is super popular, I think, with horror fans. Like, yeah. I think it's kind of put up on a pedestal. Yeah, I, I see that. It's got, like, a cult cult following, uh, which I, I'm, I'm uh, really curious, like, how that happened. Yeah, so in fitting with our theme, <laughs> I feel like this might harken back to the Friday the 13th episode. <laughs> I think we sometimes have pretty different opinions than the uh, general horror movie watching nerd. Yeah, better opinions, actually. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> Debatable, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Anyway, so we're talking about Trick or Treat, and quick description, straight from IMDb, five interwoven stories that occur on Halloween. An everyday high school principal has a secret life as a serial killer. A college virgin might have just met the guy for her. A group of teenagers pull a mean prank. A woman who loathes the night has to contend with her holiday-obsessed husband. And a mean old man meets his match with a demonic supernatural trick-or-treater. So, it's an anthology. And I actually saw it ranked as, like, number one horror anthology on a lot of people's lists. Wow. Oh my god. That's, that's bold. Bold indeed. Yeah. Um, what else? It, there's a lot of subgenres wrapped into one, as usual, with a anthology. Yeah. I mean, this is like kind of uh, like you got vampire, witches, werewolves. Uh, it's it's mostly uh, like a d- demonic type of, uh, well, not, not possessions or anything, but just like zombies and ghosts and your typical Halloween creatures, right? Yeah, like supernatural. Yeah, supernatural. That's what I was looking for. Uh, yeah, zombies. Um I think movies that happen on Halloween are their own subgenre of movies. <laughs> Halloween movies. And yeah. it's got horror comedy throughout too. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, it's kind of cheeky. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely cheeky. Yep. Um, um ha- I I feel like uh how many anthologies have we we've seen a few by now, right? Yeah, I think we've only done one for the Oh shoot. Well, we did one for the podcast Creep Show that we accidentally screwed up so yeah. that one probably won't see the light of day um did we do another anthology um do we uh no maybe uh, like i know we've seen like a christmas horror story vhs um southbound 
Um, but Black I, Sabbath. Oh, Black Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. No. Maybe you're right. Maybe this will be the first uh, anthology that we're putting out there. I think. Yeah. I think it's the first one post podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I feel like creep shows usually in my mind. I thought that's what people held as the gold standard for horror anthologies, but yeah. a ton of people's lists were putting this. Ahead of creep show. Yeah, that kind of amazes me. You know, compared to the other anthologies, and you know, I, I saw a lot of similarities with creep show on this one. Now, like watching this again, um, like would you say it's like pretty heavily influenced and copy some of that style? Yeah, I almost feel like they do a little bit of a tribute to creep show because it opens and closes with like a comic book. Yeah. Like yeah. as almost you're reading the comic book. Yeah. Exactly. It, but it, not really. Like they, they kind of go half-assed with that. They do, yeah. Like creep show. Like every story is like uh, they they go from comic book, like from the movie to show like the comic book, and then back to the movie. And and this one, yeah, you're right. It's just the beginning, the end. Yeah. And and there was an actual comic book behind creep show, right? No, not until after the fact. Oh, I thought Stephen King like wrote that comic. Without that was after the movie. Yeah, it was like an homage or an homage to like EC comics, horror comics of like the 50s. But oh, right. There w- it wasn't a specific comic. Okay. Okay, got it. Until they made one based on the movie. Yeah. What, one, one thing, though, I thought this one did different than some of the other ones we've seen is all the five stories is eventually like they're intervo- inter- interwoven and uh, and you get to see some of that like play between the stories, which which I, I kind of like that as a, as a little bonus. Yeah, yeah, and I think we'll talk more about that too. Most anthologies show each story on its own in in order, like as a complete story all at once, and this one jumped in and out and went back and forth, not unlike Christmas Horror Story. Yeah. Which was, I think, definitely a detriment to Christmas Horror Story, and I think we'll get more into whether or not it was a attribute or a detriment to this one. Hey, was that movie on the list that you saw of anthologies? No, nobody put that on their list. <laughs> Uh, let's see that. <laughs> um, so we mentioned Sam, this like little child sized trick or treater with a burlap sack and kind of like orange footy pajamas. Like his head is like a scarecrow's head almost. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of become the face of this movie and like a horror icon. Um, which, yeah, again, is surprising because this is a pretty recent movie. Yeah. And he makes an appearance in each of the stories and then kind of has a starring role in one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, where have you seen Sam outside of this film? I don't, I'm not sure I've seen him, like, around uh, anywhere else. Um. So they do have Halloween costumes of him. And then, gosh, I'm in this whole world. Like, this, there's this horror Twitter. I don't know if you ever really go on there, but... No. Nah. People will post stuff like, who would you rather face in a dark alley? And it'll just be this image of a bunch of horror icons. And a lot of times Sam is in that kind of stuff. Oh, okay, okay. Wow. It'll be like Michael Myers and Jason and Freddy and whoever else. (laughs) Yeah, that's just so hard to believe, like, that uh, Sam, because, uh, yeah, his character, like, isn't, I I would never, like, put him on the same uh, level as, like, a, a Jason or a Michael Myers or... Uh, Freddy Krueger. Yeah, and I don't think people are putting him on the same level, but he's he's in the conversation, it seems. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like our place is standing on the edge of nerddom, looking in. <laughs> yeah, and wondering what the hell's going on in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, and so Sam kind of like plays the role of enforcing the rules of Halloween and like Halloween traditions. But it, I don't know. They, they kind of hit that a little bit lately too. Mm-hmm. And, and is that all like we, we kind of know or that, that that is known about Sam is just kind of like the keeper of Halloween? Yeah, it's kind of alluded to in the movie. Um, but like these rules, I like found them online. Did you did you grasp any rules in the movie, like rules of Halloween? Uh, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> did, did, you, you found some? Yeah, they never really spell them out. But online, it's like... Um, Always give candy to trick-or-treaters. Always wear a costume. Don't extinguish the flame of a jack-o'-lantern before midnight. That one was the most obvious. Mm -hmm. Because people meet foul ends after they do that. Yeah. Uh, And then the fourth one, (laughs) I saw some person put it as always check your candy, which I think did flash across the screen at the beginning. Oh. In the comic book intro. Oh, okay. And then another person put respect the dead, which I don't know where they got that from. Yeah, I'm not sure that one ties directly. I don't really care. Yeah. Uh, Oh, so these are the rules of Halloween, and if you don't follow them, Sam is going to come to your door? Yeah, essentially. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I felt like they were kind of inconsistent with that, though. (laughs) Yeah. And they, speaking of Sam being a horror icon, there's supposedly a sequel in the works. Yeah, I see that. So, so uh, do you, the director is Brian Singer. Yeah, and th- yeah, and he did Krampus from twenty fifteen. Have you seen that? Yeah, did you watch that one? Uh, no, I haven't seen that one yet. Wow, you know that one's actually a little more fun than I thought this one was. But um, yeah, it's I guess it would put it in the same genre. Wait a minute, Brian Singer? Why do I have Michael Doherty? No, no, yeah. So my, my actually, yeah, Michael Doherty uh, directed it, and it was produced by Brian Singer. But Br- Brian Singer, who, who I guess produced it, I guess, uh, he comes from like a big like uh, action background mostly, right? Yeah, it looked like it. Yeah. Like- yeah. So Brian Singer did not do Krampus. Correction, that was Michael Doherty. Okay, got it. Yep. Uh, it's interesting because yeah, Brian Singer's like done like all these superhero movies. He's in like Godzilla, and it sounds like he's gonna do Trick or Treat two after this next Godzilla comes out next year. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and Michael Doherty did some superhero movies too. I think he did the screenplay for X two, the mm-hmm. X Men sequel. Yep. And the story for X Men Apocalypse. And I think he was a writer for Superman Returns. Yeah, I th- I think him and Brian Singer worked together often because um, a lot of those movies are directed by Brian Singer. Gotcha. I think it must be some kind of partnership there. And And it seems like some of these people are in the same, the actors are in those movies too. Right. Like, like Anna Paquin. Yeah. She was rogue in X-Men. And then, uh, I don't know if you noticed the old guy at the end, Brian Cox was striker from X2. Oh, no kidding. I didn't notice that. He looked familiar, but I couldn't place him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what he's from. Yeah. That's who he's from. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so this film is based on a short film, short animated film by Michael Doherty. Did you see that? No, no. It's called Seasons Greetings from 1996. Wow. Okay. It's an anime. And that debuted the character of Sam. Oh, okay. And it's an animated film? Yeah. It's like three minutes long. I watched it. Oh, it's on YouTube? Yeah. Worth watching? Um, it was kind of entertaining. Okay. Yeah, it's three minutes. Yeah, low risk. 
So I said this movie was from 2007, but I don't think it actually got released until 2009, right? Yeah, I see two release dates for this movie. I was, I was getting really confused. Um, yeah, was it? Was it? Uh, I, I'm not really sure what happened there, but it, maybe you're right. It got made in 2007 and, and finally released in 2009. Yeah, the release dates get a little confusing sometimes. Um, I think it was supposed to be released in October 2007, and then they pulled it from the schedule with no explanation, and some people thought it might have been that Saw 4 was slated for release around the same time, or that... Superman Returns was a box office flop, so they were kind of trepidant about that. Trepidant? Trepidatious? Uh, Hesitant? Because Michael Doherty did that, did Superman Returns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, th- this one, it didn't get a wide release, it looks like. It was just kind of uh, released more like direct-to-DVD after like some screenings here and there. Yeah, straight-to-DVD in October 2009. Yeah. Yeah, but interesting for like such a highly rated uh, horror film that has like such good reviews and and coming from like these big producers and a director who have like you know a pretty big resume that, that this one went straight to DVD. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I, I do wonder what went on there. I, I thought it was inter- I thought it was interesting you compared this one uh, to like Jason in the beginning of the episode because I, I think like you know these films fall into a category of like probably fun movies to watch in a group. Uh, with people like during the season, if you're trying to get festive, I know like you and I, we probably watch these movies alone, uh, and, and like trying to, you know, make, make them try to find like additional meaning or substance in it. But I, these kind of like fit a, a niche where it's like, uh, very low value, but like entertaining and crowd pleasing films. Yeah. And uh, I don't even know if I'd call this low value. I feel like the, I don't think I wrote down the budget, but I feel like it was like 10 or 12 million. Like the production oh. values were high. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This but I actually was, I was texting Amy of Amy May Pop Art about this movie and she's like, oh, that one's great. And I told her that I feel like maybe we suffer for not seeing these in crowds. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like I can appreciate that in like Dead Snow. Like, yeah, that I'm sure that's a great movie in a crowd, but it was still good on its own. That's like, true. Yeah. Yeah, I totally understand that, and I can see why people are like this movie, but yeah. it should be able to stand on its own. Yeah, you're right. Any good movie should like stand any kind of uh, atmosphere that you watch it in, so yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah, like Creepshow, I feel like, is another one that's great to watch with the crowd, but I still was mm-hmm. able to munch on some popcorn and enjoy that one. For sure, for sure. Yeah, that, that, that's good. It's no excuse. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Horror nerds are angry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, so what do people love about this movie? Like, what, what, what did you read like in the reviews? Like, what, what are people saying that they're like so great about this? I don't really know. I don't think I really read a view, review where I was like, oh, like, I, th- I think people just think it's a lot of fun. I do think they appreciate the way all the stories were woven together. And I actually appreciated that too. Yeah. Like, there were some nice reveals and stuff like that, but. Yep. Again, it's not enough to carry the movie. Yeah, yeah, but that that part was kind of fun at the end to like see the overlap of the the movies, or like it sometimes between the stories, like you'd, you'd see something from another story. It was just yeah, yeah, yeah. And we talked about that with the Christmas horror story episode, where when it keeps flipping back and forth between the stories, you can't really get that attached to one story. Yeah. So it's kind of like nothing really matters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, this one though, I don't feel like it flipped too much though. Like most of the time, like when it held a story at most, it would go like between one or two stories, 
But for the most part, it would like see each story to the end, wouldn't it? Mm, yes and no. It it did a little bit. It didn't do it to the extreme that Christmas Horror Story did. Like, yeah. Christmas Horror Story, they all were ending at like the same time. Like it just. And this one did kind of like wrap up a story before moving on to another one to an extent. Yeah. Um, and it made more sense when they transitioned. Like. Yep. They didn't like pull the rug out from under a story <laughs> yeah. to go to another one. Yeah, like leaving it in like a suspense mode, like end of the chapter and what's going to happen next. Ah, next story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean s- sometimes they did that and it was effective, but Christmas Horror tr- Story tried to do that and it was just all over the place. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So I think they did navigate that fairly well. Mhm. Yep. Um so, talking about Creepshow, they did, I think, nod to a lot of other horror movies in this. Mm-hmm. So, at one point, there's a disembodied hand that comes to life on its own. And a character says, you've got to be effing kidding me when he sees it. And that's a nod to a similar scene in The Thing. Oh. John Carpenter. Okay. And then at one point I saw Sam's head tilt, like in kind of a Michael Myers-esque way. I don't know if that was a nod or not. Yeah. To Halloween. And then there's apparently a song from Lost Boys playing in the background in one scene. Okay. Cool. Thought I oh, and the you. principal's son is dressed similar to Chucky, apparently. I didn't catch that. Yeah. A lot of this movie, I think, played on, like, I don't feel like there's too much original uh, content here. Um, like, none of the storylines are, like, that original, right? Um, no, nothing mind-blowing. Yeah. Uh, so some other, similar, like, another similarity I noticed, uh, well, t- two other ones. Do you remember, uh, well, there's a scene here where, like, someone, uh, is under the bed and cuts, uh, the, the back heel of someone who's standing next to the bed. And Oh, yeah, I thought that, too. That's like a pet cemetery thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then, um, there's a scene where there's a girl kind of, like, getting, uh, slaughtered, uh, in, like, an alley, and there's, like, a Halloween parade going outside. And I think that would be similar to something either from, like, I Know What You Did Last Summer or, like, a Scream film. I feel like I've seen that somewhere. Oh. God, that does remind me of something, of, like, something happened right, something happening, like, right out in the open, but nobody thinks twice about it. There there was a, maybe it was, like, Scream 3, like, in the opening where they're, like, at a movie theater watching Scream and, like, someone's getting stabbed in the theater, but, like, no one is, like, paying attention because it just seems like it's acted. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they've that, that that trick's been done in a few movies. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, and I think that might be something fans like about it. Mm-hmm. That it's kind of nodding and has some in jokes to other horror movies. Yeah, yep, yeah. It pay, kind of pays tribute to all of them. So this took place in a fictional town of Warren Valley, Ohio. Yeah. Oh, that isn't a real place. It's not a real place. Yeah, it looked like a place I'd want to go, like with that type of Halloween party. It looked like uh, Mardi Gras or something. <laughs> yeah, they really went all out. <laughs> yeah, like where's this fictional town in Ohio? Which is I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend it's in Northeast Ohio. <laughs> okay, uh, and also that that director was born in Columbus, I think. Yeah, yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, this one had Ohio all over it. Mm-hmm. Okay, man. Well, you want to take a quick break before we talk about the plot? Sure, let's do it. All right, well, uh, I'm going to go eat some candy that the local school principal dropped off at our house, and uh, I'll be right back. That's nice of him. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, man, I'm back. Nice. How's the candy? It's good. Made my stomach hurt a little bit, but I barfed up a whole bunch of blood, and, and now I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah, that happens to me sometimes when I eat candy, too. Yeah. <laughs> blood barf and rally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gallons of it coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this thing starts up, like we mentioned, with the comic book, like animation flipping through a comic book as if the stories are in a comic book, but it doesn't really stick to that theme or make it seem like these are actually stories from a comic book. Mm-hmm. They don't really come back to that until the end. <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of people overlook that, but that kind of annoyed me. Yeah, especially since it's kind of like directly referencing Creepshow, but then not sticking with it. Yeah, it's just like such a half-ass shout-out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, it's like remember this great movie? All right. <laughs> Yeah, we did, we did cool our job. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also starts with a lick jack lit jack o' lantern, <laughs> lick jack o' lantern. Um, <laughs> kind of like Halloween does mm-hmm. in the credits, like the opening credits. Right. Um, and then this woman kicks over the jack o' lantern, and it goes out. And they're kind of in a fight, her and her husband. She's not into Halloween. And he tells her, like, oh, you can't knock over the jack-o'-lantern and it has to stay lit. Tradition and rules or something like that. So she's taking down all these Halloween decorations and he's inside waiting for her. And this is probably the most suspenseful scene of the movie, I thought. Oh, really? The opening scene? Yeah. Yeah. She's like tearing down these sheets off of these ghosts that they've propped up and they're playing the music. So you think every time she pulls down a sheet, something's going to be under it. Yeah. And you also see this dude staring at her from across the street with his creepy mask on. Yeah. Which turns out to just be a teenager waiting for a ride. And I don't think anything ends up being under those ghost sheets, but she's then attacked by an unseen assailant. Right. And we kind of see her throat get slit and... Then it cuts to the husband inside. He goes out to find her, and he pulls one of the sheets off these, like, propped-up ghosts that are kind of like scarecrow ghosts. And her head is, like... Her decapitated head is, like, rigged up on there with a lollipop shoved into her mouth. Yeah. Did you recognize this woman from anything? No, no, did you? That is Leslie Bibb, and she was the mom from The Babysitter on Netflix. Oh, really? The Babysitter, that, that horror film on Netflix? Yeah. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So that's the first vignette. And then the second one cuts to this overweight kid named Charlie. And he's going around town smashing jack-o'-lanterns. He kind of gets scolded by his school principal who he encounters. I think he's on the principal's front doorstep. Mm-hmm. And the principal starts lecturing on about how Halloween has these rules that you have to obey. Again, they don't really explicitly spell out the rules. or If they did, I didn't catch it. Charlie starts vomiting up all this blood, and it's clear that the principal poisoned the candy. And he drags him in his house, and he's burying him in the backyard along with another body that's in, like, a burlap sack. And then he gets interrupted by his son and the neighbor, who's this crotchety old man who's yelling across the fence. Um, That'll come into play later, the neighbor. And I think that one ends with the principal taking that kid's head inside in the basement so he and Billy, his son, can, like, carve it out like a jack-o'-lantern. Yeah, so uh, there wasn't anything supernatural about that one, right? It was just um, a father and son bonding over killing a kid. 
Yeah, yep, just some serial killer stuff. And there's a suspenseful scene where, like, the principal's coming up behind his own son with a knife behind his back. You think he's going to stab his son, but he just stabs... I think he might just stab the table or stab the decapitated head that they're going to make a jack-o'-lantern out of. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we cut to a group of trick-or-treaters, probably like pre-teen type age, and they pick up this dorky kid named Rhonda, and she's like this Halloween fanatic. She's got all these jack-o'-lanterns, jack-o'-lanterns in her yard, and they go to this local quarry where one of them tells this story about an urban legend called the Halloween School Bus Massacre, which was a super dark story about all these mentally challenged kids on a bus whose parents want to get rid of them, so they pay the driver to, like, crash the bus. Mm -hmm. And so the driver then essentially crashes this bus, but he kind of screws up, or the kids interfere, and he goes down with the bus and then escapes, and nobody's ever heard from him again. So she's telling this story, and they're there to offer these eight jack-o'-lanterns as tribute to the dead children, and then they pull a prank on Rhonda and pretend that they're like the zombies of this kids that come back. And then one of them ends up kicking over a lit jack-o'-lantern again and assumes, I assume the punishment for that was these dead children really do rise up out of the lake at the bottom of the quarry as zombies. And so they try to run away and Rhonda essentially escapes and leaves them there to die. And she briefly sees Sam, the little burlap sack dude, while she's leaving. Oh, where was he? He was just, like, sitting on a rock as she was, like, walking away from the scene. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. He would be, like, randomly placed in these stories. Yeah, he also appeared as a trick-or-treater at the principal's doorstep. Oh, yeah, right. He's and then the, the principal there. gave him some candy, so he just kind of walked away. Yeah. It's like no pol- broken rules to enforce there. <laughs> He's, like, policing Halloween. Yeah. You can be a serial killer, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 good. Uh did you find that story scary at all? That was maybe one of the creepier ones, but not really. How about you? Um, I thought like the double scare here was effective where like first you think like something is chasing them in the woods, but then it turns out to be a prank and so you have that false sense of relief and then uh, but then suddenly like you start hearing screams in the background and something's going on. So it got a little bit tense. Yeah. Yeah. That one wasn't bad. Yeah. Um, I felt like, I, I don't know. I was just wasn't, um, engaged in these stories that much. I felt kind of bored. Yeah. Yeah. Even at like really over the top, like gory scenes. I was just like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> you think we're watching too many horror films? We're just getting bored. Yeah. It could be. <laughs> Okay, so the next story is about, like, a bunch of attractive young women who, probably, like, college age, who arrive in town, and they're, like, looking to pick up dates. Yeah, you know, I I wasn't really bored in this one. (laughs) (laughs) One of these women is Anna Paquin, and she's a virgin, and she's, like, looking for this to be her first time, and she wants it to be special. So they're going around town trying to, like, pick up dudes and invite them to this Halloween party. And Lori at the the parade, Lori is uh, Anna Paquin, she encounters this, like, hooded, creepy dude who we've seen 
um, like kill somebody with vamp. He's got like vampire teeth, so we presume he's a bam- vampire. We've seen him kill somebody earlier in the movie. Um, and that's when he just like leaves her in the crowd and nobody notices because they assume this woman's like drunk and in costume because she's covered in blood and acting a fool. And so Lori sees this woman. He attacks her. We don't really see what happens. But then we see all of these women at a bonfire with these dudes that they've brought to this party. And you see that sexual predator who's got a mask on, like just fall from a tree, presumably like into the middle of this party. And so then they go and unmask him. And it's revealed to be the principal from earlier in the movie. And then Lori appears and you get the gist that like she's the one, like she bested him in this confrontation that they just had. And then Sweet Dreams by Marilyn Manson starts playing and there's a transformation scene where all these girls turn into werewolves and start eating these dudes that they've invited to the party. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was a cool twist. What, what did you think? Um, it was hard because I knew that was going to happen from my previous viewing. So, yeah, yeah, it was hard to remember how I felt about it the first time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you see Sam like sitting up in a tree watching this happen (laughs) (laughs) just because he's got it. It's so weird that he's such an icon because he's just kind of (laughs) like in the background, just in the background most of the time until the end. Yeah, that's true. So we see our first tie into the comic book again. We get like a narration bubble on the screen that says earlier. And we go back to the scene where the principal is burying that dude in the back or that kid in the backyard. And he's interrupted by his crotchety neighbor yelling from across the fence. So now we're seeing things from the neighbor's perspective. So it starts with him like scaring away these children who are at his door to steal their candy. And then I think he hears the ruckus from next door about the principal burying the kid. He goes to the fence to check it out. And when he comes back to the house, it's been decorated with all this Halloween stuff. And then he ends up having an encounter in this house with Sam, who's like terrorizing him and scuttling about this house. They essentially just get into a brawl. And uh, Sam has kind of like a candy bar that he unwraps. that turns out to be a razor blade and he, slits the back of the guy's leg like in pet cemetery and sam gets unmasked it turns out he's just this weird little pumpkin headed child um so finally sam tries to kill krieg who's this crotchety neighbor before this krieg's like shot him with a shotgun and he comes apart and then like is still alive and reforms himself He tries to stab Krieg and instead hits this chocolate bar that somehow landed on Krieg's lap. And he takes that as Krieg offering him candy, so he leaves. And then we see a shot of Krieg, like, I think it's now that we see this shot. Krieg's, like, burning these pictures in the fireplace. And they are pictures that reveal that he was the bus driver Mm -hmm. from that flashback scene earlier. He was the bus driver that drove all these kids into the lake. Which means that nobody knows where he went, but he was just hiding out in his <laughs> he just tiny house. hometown. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he just went home, yeah. <laughs> Good move. Someone should have checked at his house. They would have found him. <laughs> um, why do you think uh, Sam didn't kill Krieg? Because he ended up... So he, the whole reason he was attacking Krieg 
was because Krieg broke the rules of Halloween by not giving those kids at the door candy. Oh, that's what Brian Then he gave Sam candy. Not really, but Sam assumed that that chocolate bar he stabbed was an offering. Yeah. So he left him alone. I see. Okay. That makes sense. And then it ends with Krieg at his front door giving out candy to children, and he sees Sam across the street, and Sam is watching that couple from the beginning of the movie and he sees the woman knock out that jack-o'-lantern so then we see him walk over there presumably to exact revenge on her and it's clear like okay that was sam that killed her at the beginning of the movie so those are all those stories are tied together and then krieg comes back inside there's another knock on the door and he opens it and it's all those zombie kids from the bottom of the quarry who came back in the other story, and they're here to exact their revenge on him, the bus driver. And then we cut back to a comic book shot and a bunch of comic book cells of him being, like, dismembered by these zombie kids. <laughs> and that, I, lo- I really like the way this ends, and I like the way those stories are all tied together. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of cool because, yeah, that, that ending, like, you see, like, oh, that, this is, like, when it took place and the sequence of events that happens after that. That's that, that a really cool way to tie it up. Yeah, yeah, that was well done. And I imagine really not easy to do in a movie like this, so mm-hmm. I do give this movie props for that for sure. Yeah. Also, I, I thought that throughout each of these stories, uh, production value was, I mean, to your point earlier, was, like, really good. Uh, everything was, like... Uh, like the, all the effects and everything and um, you know, the lighting, uh, unlike you know, some other films we've seen. Uh, like I, I thought the visuals were pretty good throughout. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's pretty good effects, decent acting, high production values. I think the people that did the, the studio that did the werewolves in the transformation scene also did the werewolves in the Underworld movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was kind of a cool scene in, in, in that story, uh, watching them transform from you know, these beautiful girls into these, like, you know, really scary, hideous uh, werewolves. There was, like, uh, they, they would, like, unzip their skin on the back and, and pop out. That was kind of gross. Yeah, that was kind of new to me. I'm not sure if I've seen a werewolf transformation where they, like, shed their skin. Yeah. What's the deal? Like, how long do they stay werewolves from, and then where do they get the next skin from? Yeah, yeah, that... That opens up a whole bunch of questions. Yeah, seems like a waste of good skin. Yeah. So, what did you think, man? Um, you know, it, I I, uh, I I think it, it, it's it's kind of a fun one, but not not very scary. And I kind of felt like you, like I wasn't really drawn into the suspense of it at too many points. Um, and that's kind of the challenge with anthologies is, um, you you know, the each each story was what like 10, 15 minutes at the most. Yeah, probably. And, and and that's like a very small window to like, you know, really tell an engaging story to build characters, to get people drawn in. Um, and in this one, a lot of the characters I think were pretty two dimensional. So I don't, I don't feel like I was truly vested in any of the storylines here. Um, did, did you feel that way? No, I didn't. And I agree with everything you said. I think that the fans of this movie would argue like, it's just a fun movie. It's just like a popcorn movie. You don't need to be engaged with the characters. <laughs> But I still think that you do. I mean, clearly you don't because plenty of people like this movie and we're in the minority. Yeah. But I guess I need to care at least a little bit. Like, yep. or or not even care at least a little bit, but just, I don't know, man. Like, Creepshow 
was fun and I didn't care really about most of the characters in most of those stories, but Mm -hmm. it was still much more fun than this. Like, yeah, I think you just need to feel invested in the story a little bit and like a minimum of like, okay, I'm watching this story start to finish. Right. At least for me. Yeah. I know that that's lame. Like I should, you should be able to make a movie where you cut in and out of the stories like this one, because that payoff is great, like tying it all together. Yeah. But uh, I guess it just, and it was fun, but I think maybe the real problem is it, for me, it wasn't like over the top fun enough to make up for that. Yeah. It didn't really have like a campiness vibe to it at all. Yeah. Like it did, but it, it wasn't laid on very thickly. Yeah. Yeah. They could have definitely amped that up a bit. And I, I think it would have had a much different audience and it, it could have appealed to a whole different genre if it had uh, laid that on a little bit more. Yeah, and there wasn't, like, I know it was supposed to be funny, but I never really laughed. Like, they could have amped up the humor, and even though it was gory, I think they could have made it a bit more like a splatter movie. Yeah, I don't I don't remember the humor for the most part. Uh, which, which was the humor part? I think it was just the, like, tongue-in-cheekness of all of it. Oh. But, yeah, I yeah. guess there wasn't that much explicit humor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It could it could have been funnier. It felt like it kind of took itself seriously, um, a, a little more than it should have. Yeah, yeah, maybe the tone maybe was a little off. Yeah, yeah, but I, I agree. There, there, there's something that like Creepshow had, and maybe Creepshow was the campiness or the fact it didn't take itself seriously. Also, the stories in Creepshow I thought were a little more unique. In this one, you had like stories that intentionally played to some of the. Um, you know, stereotypical Halloween stories. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't think it was trying to be too unique or, like, groundbreaking or anything. Um, yeah, that's a good idea. The, most of the stories in Creepshow were definitely pretty original. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you had Stephen King writing those, so. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, in this one, you, you got this little creature that is, like, just, like, basically like a safety guard watching, like, is everyone following the rules for Halloween or not? And if not, you know, we're going to mess them up. Yeah. 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 So, I and these are just the opinions of two people. I think a lot of people think this is a really fun movie, clearly, but, uh. But they don't have podcasts. They, yeah. <laughs> Should have thought that earlier. <laughs> Whole bunch of them do. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is kind of our Friday the 13th episode and <laughs> us <laughs> throwing shade at a movie that is yeah. beloved. Yeah. We were just like, we don't get it. What are, you, what are you guys all excited about? <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. Well, uh, zero to five fugitives hiding in their own small town with a <laughs> bunch of photos connecting them to the crime. How many give? How many fugitives do you give this? Um, I, I'd give it two, mostly for production value um, and the, the, the clever way they tied it at the end. Um, but yeah, it was missing the scares that, that I would have liked to see or, or the uniqueness. What about you? Yeah. I think I give it a 2.5 basically for those same reasons. I was I was really excited at the end when everything was tied together and like the zombies at the door was like a nice cherry on top. Yeah, sure. Yeah, brought it to a nice ending. All right, well, that's the first one in our series on October movies that take place on Halloween, so look forward to more of these and uh, that's all we got, so... 
Thanks for joining us, and this was a fun discussion on Trick or Treat, and if you want to join the discussion, you can talk to us on Facebook. We're at Horror Movie Club Podcast on Facebook, and you can watch me learn how to use Twitter at Horror Movie Pod on Twitter. You can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. You can chase, check Facebook or Twitter to see what we're going to do next week. And our artwork is done by Amy Mae Popart. Check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time, if some sexy strangers who are way out of your league invite you to a Halloween party on a full moon, uh, you should maybe just stay at home because they're probably werewolves. I actually have a moon phase app on my phone for just such an occasion. (laughs) Damn, I gotta find you Halloween (laughs) plans. 